Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I am a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand your money. We look at the stock market and why it goes up and down. We look at financial legislation and the impact it could have on your bottom line. In the Plan Your Prosperity segment, we take a closer look at financial planning topics. And then finally, in the Ask Peggy segment, that's your opportunity to ask me a question. So if you would like to have your question answered on the show, go to askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and you'll find a place you can submit your question. Then I'll be in contact with you, maybe get a few more details to make sure that I understand the situation, and then I'll create an answer to your question that can be educational for the listeners. So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears market and economic update for the week ending October 18th, 2019. And the good news is it was a very flat week in the market. The Dow Jones Industrial Average went down 0.17%, while the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ both went up about half a percent. And you know, it's important to stop here and remember when you're looking at the effect of the stock market, how well the stock market did that week. It's better to look at the S&P 500 than it is to look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, even though whenever people talk about the market, they talk about the Dow. The Dow is comprised of 30 stocks. Originally, they were all industrial. They've kind of branched out over time. But if something goes wrong in one of those 30 stocks, maybe the earnings disappoint, the entire index is more affected because it's only 30 companies, where the S&P 500 is the 500 largest companies in the United States. If something goes wrong in one of those companies, the impact is much less because there's 499 other companies to kind of help buffer the blow. So when you're listening to the news and when you're listening to people just casually talk about the stock market, try to pay more attention to the S&P 500. It's going to give you a better picture of what the market's really doing than simply following the Dow so closely. In other market news, gold was almost flat, just down 0.01%. Oil was down 2.2%. The largest gainer of the week in percentage is the 10-year Treasury yield. It was up 22.3% this week, but the yield is still only 1.753%. So very large percentage movements are translating to small actual dollars and cents movements because interest rates are so low. The most interesting thing I find about the last two weeks of the 10-year Treasury yield, because both weeks, the bias percentage, the yield's gone up a lot, 
it tends to indicate to me that maybe the market doesn't anticipate the Federal Reserve cutting rates a third time. You may remember after the last interest rate cut, there was language from the Fed suggesting that they might be done. This might be all they were going to do. They were just trying to shore up some potential economic softness that they thought they saw coming on the horizon, but that they really weren't into an easing um, economic policy right now. So the fact that two weeks in a row, by very large percentage points, the yield has actually gone up tends to make me think that the market thinks the Fed is done. And so, you know, when they dropped it, it really crashed down, kind of been crawling up again. And I really think it indicates that perhaps we've seen the last interest rate cut. In other economic news, for the first time in many years, the Chinese GDP dropped significantly. GDP is gross domestic product, and it's a measure of a country's economic health. Now, this could have happened for two different reasons. One, there may be more transparent reporting of Chinese GDP. So maybe this is actually a closer um, representation of what's actually going on in the Chinese economy. There's been some sense over the years that their GDP numbers were awfully consistent quarter after quarter. So it could be that. It could also be a function of the tariffs. It could also be a function of some of the political unrest that's going on in China in general right now. But it is significant because the Chinese GDP has just rocked along for years, and there was a significant decrease that they just reported. Additionally, we showed a little bit of softness in the real estate sector with economic data that came out this last week. So, you know, it's nothing really concerning to me. Overall, the economy looks pretty good and pretty robust. But it's always good to keep an eye out because if there is ever an issue, it doesn't happen unexpectedly. There's always signs, there's always indications, and that's what we talk about in this part of the show. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And I have two articles to talk about this week. In the first one, it looks at how FINRA, now FINRA is the regulatory body for practically everyone in the financial services industry. There's another level of regulation, either through state regulators or SEC regulators, but FINRA's a big go-to for looking at um, the regulatory history of brokers. They have it also of investment advisors. And one of the good features of FINRA has been their broker check, where you can put the name of someone in, and then you can see what sort of um, what sort of regulatory history that broker has or the firm has, just to make sure before you're either working with someone or, you know, if you're just trying to do some research, just to see what's happened in their career. Has anything happened that they had to disclose? Have there been complaints? Have there been issues? And so BrokerCheck has been a very good place to go. 
Unfortunately, it looks like BrokerCheck is suffering a little bit right now because of the number of expunged investor complaints. Now, that's the language from, from what I was reading. So basically erased investor complaints or investor complaints that don't get on the broker check site in the first place. Piaba, P-I-A-B-A, in case you're trying to look it up for yourself, is a financial consumer watchdog organization. And Piaba was doing some research into what was going on on BrokerCheck and how many client complaints have just been eliminated. And there has been a 1,016% increase in expungements from 2015 to 2018. And Piaba is saying right now, it's so easy for brokers to get their records cleaned up on BrokerCheck that it almost should come with a warning that just because you're using BrokerCheck, that doesn't mean that everything about that person has been disclosed. And, you know, that's sort of a little horrifying. And one reason why I wanted to talk about this today is on previous shows and in other things I've written, I've strongly encouraged people to go to BrokerCheck. Well, now it looks like perhaps everything might not actually be showing. I suspect with this bright light that's been shined onto the system, there will be some reforms within FINRA to try to make this more transparent. In the meantime, what are you supposed to do as a consumer? Well, I would still go to BrokerCheck, okay? It's not like they don't have anything. There's just not a great guarantee that everything that happened is currently on the site. I would go there anyway. Remember that one of the issues that investment advisors have is they can't give you referrals by law. An investment advisor is not allowed to give you endorsements. There's also some privacy issues that can come up where a financial professional is probably not going to give you a list of names and say, here, call these people. But one of the things you can do in this brand new age of technology is go on to social media and public review sites. Now, remember that on these sites, there's always somebody out there just trying to mess with everybody's day. So you shouldn't let one bad review throw you off of someone you're thinking about working with, especially if you've met with them and you like them and everything appears to be good. But social media may have to fill the gap for a while if broker check doesn't have it. So I would encourage you to, in addition to going to BrokerCheck, looking at the advisor's profile and just, you know, put in their name, kind of see what hits. Additionally, depending, about, depending on the amount of money that they manage, if they manage less than $100 million, at least in Oklahoma, those advisors are going to be on the state security um, office, and I believe it's actually a national $100 million threshold. So if the person's managing less than $100 million, their regulator is their state. If they're managing more than $100 million, their regulator is the SEC. So you can go on your state security site 
or the SEC site and find more information about the person that will be in addition to the broker check information. You know, things happen, but it's always really important to be aware of the regulatory history of anyone you're considering working with. And if you use a multiple number of tools, especially with some issues with BrokerCheck right now, I think it will help you make a better decision. So that's the first piece of news. The second piece of news is a bill that has now passed out of the full House, which means the bill was drafted, it got out of committee, and then there was a full House vote. It is H.R. 1815, so H.R. 1815, also called the SEC Disclosure Effectiveness Testing Act. And this bill is requiring the SEC to test any new disclosures that are going to be going to retail investors. So in other words, if there's a new disclosure that a broker or an investment advisor has to make, you beta test it with real people and you see if they understand what the disclosure means. There was some of this that's occurred over the past year with regulation best interests. There was a little bit of beta testing that happened there. This bill is designed to require every piece of disclosure that is new that, you know, the consumer, you're supposed to read this disclosure and understand what it means. They're saying it needs to be tested with real live people who aren't financial professionals, who aren't regulators, who aren't lawmakers, making sure that that the population, the public, understands what the disclosure is trying to disclose. There is a video out about this, which might be more fun than reading the bill. Representative Sean Caston of Illinois put out a video statement that I'm sure if you wanted to find it online, you could, C-A-S-T-E-N. And it says that it's designed to help you and your family make better financial decisions. So now, in, in full disclosure, I haven't had a chance to listen to the video yet, but sometimes it's nice to get things that aren't just paper that you're trying to read. I think this is a great bill. I think it's so important that the consumer understand what's going on in their money and what's going on with their advisors or their brokers, because this is all acronym heavy and kind of gibberish heavy. And so the more we can make sure that the consumers understand what's being said, the better decisions the consumers can make. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and today we're going to talk about putting together your investment portfolio. Now remember, I don't give investment advice on this show. So you're never going to tune in and hear me recommend a stock or say, oh, buy this or don't buy that. But there are some basic principles of putting together a portfolio that if you understand them will make it much easier for you to have investing success. And that's what I want to talk about today. You know, what happens a lot of times, especially in your 401k plan, is you go to the annual meeting, you, you actually go to it, 
and you hear the representative talking about the 401k and all of the investment choices, and then you do your risk tolerance level, and you find out that you are moderately aggressive, or you could be moderately conservative. That part doesn't really matter, but you're moderately aggressive. And so now you're supposed to go put together a portfolio that matches the moderately aggressive person. And if you don't get any more explanation than this, that process isn't going to go very well. So let me start out by talking about the main kinds of investments and their characteristics. Basically, your portfolio can be broken into three big categories the stock category, the bond category, and then the other category. So the stock category or your stock exposure in your portfolio is generally going to be the driver of your portfolio growth. Your investment is in the stock market is where you tend to get the better investment returns. Now, of course, you know, markets go down and interest rate movements can make odd things happen from time to time. But if we we're going to read a textbook, it would say you get your growth from the stock market. The bond market can provide you with some more stability to offset the riskiness of the stock market. I think we all really kind of have a sense of the risk that's inherent in the stock market. And then sometimes we'll overgeneralize the bond side and say, oh, the bonds are the safe side. Well, if you've been watching the interest rate movements over the last 12 months and seen the bond market kind of heaving a little bit, bonds are not inherently safe. They have different risk characteristics than stocks, and they tend to have smaller swings by, measured by standard deviation, but they don't tend to, to be quite as volatile as the stocks are. And so because they tend to be a little bit more of a ballast, because a giant stock market crash won't necessarily lead to a bond market crash as well, you put the stocks and the bonds together in a way that ties to your risk tolerance. Now, the actual percentages here are really a matter of opinion. But what I will tell you is the more aggressive you want to be, the more stock exposure you're going to want to have. The more conservative that you're going to want to be, the more bond exposure you're going to want to have. The other component can get very, very exotic, but to me, other is typically any sort of a real estate holding or a commodities holding. Just in my opinion, those are smaller pieces put into the portfolio to kind of round it out. Um, typically, they won't be your biggest holdings. Obviously, you need to talk to your financial professional to create what works for you. But usually, you've got a, a, quite a few stocks, you've got quite a few bonds, and then you have the other kind of on the side. Now, most people don't actually own stocks or bonds. They own funds. And a mutual fund or an exchange-traded fund will own stocks or bonds or both. 
it's very likely you've seen some blended funds that own both stocks and bonds if you've ever worked with a target retirement date fund. Again, in your retirement plan, if you don't make an investment decision, it will typically default you into a retirement date fund. Sometimes people choose to stay there even when they are paying attention to their portfolio. A target date fund has stock component has a stock component to it and it has a bond component to it and it may have a few other little pieces but it becomes more conservative the closer to retirement you get. So if you're very young, your target retirement date fund is going to have a lot of stock, like large cap, mid cap, small cap, U.S. stocks, international stocks, and there's going to be a lot of equity exposure. As you get older, that fund automatically loses its stock or equity positions, and it increases its bond positions. And so you'll have bond funds. You might have just like a general blended bond fund or maybe a corporate bond fund or some treasuries or some other kinds of like government entity funds. And over time, it gets more conservative. Now, this is really important for you to listen to because target date funds, when they were invented, they were like the great savior of all things. Put your money in it and forget it and you're good. What's interesting about target date funds, though, is they really vary from fund to fund about how much stock exposure and bond exposure you have at different periods of time in your life. So when you're 65 and you're in the target date fund associated with that, some target date funds have a lot of stock exposure even then. Others have much less stock exposure. So when you have more stock exposure, again, you have more growth potential, you have more risk. And these funds have come under a lot of criticism recently because people are saying, well, I didn't know I own that much stock. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to find whatever fund you're in, and I want you to get the symbol for it. You know, every mutual fund, every fund has a ticker symbol. And then you can look it up and you can find out the asset allocation of your fund. You can see how many stock, what percentage of stock you own, what percentage of bonds you own, what percentage of other stuff you own. And I want you to look at that. In addition, talk to your financial professional and find out what the glide path of the fund is. The glide path is just what it sounds like. You know, you're flying high in your 20s. Now you're coming into a landing when you're 65. How fast are you going down? How rapid of a descent is the glide path? And where are you ending up when you're 65? Because sometimes those glide paths are very different from fund to fund. You need to know what you own. You can also ask your financial professional to help you break down what's in the fund if you don't want to go look it up yourself. But you need to know what it is. Now, if you don't like it, you have options. Remember, they assigned you that target date because it was based on when you were going to be 65. 
but you can take less risk by choosing a date that's closer in. So in other words, if you're if you're going to have a 2040 retirement date fund and that's riskier than you want to be and you still don't want to mess with choosing your investments, you could back that off to a 2035 or a 2030 fund. The 2030 retirement date fund likely is less risky than the 2040 fund is, but always look at the asset allocation. If it's more conservative than you like, you can go out a little bit further. So it's really important to understand you're not locked into this. Now, of course, you know, if you make the decision to take more risk because the market's doing great now, markets turn around. You know, if you're very fearful, you can miss out on growth opportunities. I'm not going to tell you what you should do, but I'm going to give you the tools so you can make your own decision. The other piece of this, because I think we understand diversifying the stock sites. You have large cap, you know, U.S. big companies like the S&P 500 and small cap and international. But people don't talk about diversifying the bond side of their portfolio. So if you're not in a target date fund, you're not in a blended fund, and you're just choosing funds to make up your portfolio, on the bond side, spend some time to research the characteristics of the different kinds of bond funds. And it's really important to understand where you have risk, like a high-yield bond fund is going to be riskier than a government bond fund because the more yield they typically pay, the more risk you're typically taking. That's why they pay the yield. So look on your bond side, really learn that side. Even people who are great on the stock side don't pay that much attention to the bond side. I think to really have your best portfolio success, it's important that you understand every single investment in your portfolio and why you own it. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And the question today comes to me from many of the people that I know, which is, Peggy, I have children or grandchildren or nieces and nephews, and I love giving them gifts for the holidays, but I also want to teach them to be good people and I want to teach them that it's as important to give as it is to receive. And what are some steps that I can do to make that happen? And, you know, as we're coming into the holidays, it's so important to help kids from being unbelievably materialistic. Because everything in our culture encourages all of us to be unbelievably materialistic. You know, it probably will be best if we look at how we're responding to things themselves. If you're really stressing about shopping and buying the perfect gift, it can kind of lead to the message that what you're giving someone is what matters the most. It's very easy to find ways to teach kids to be generous during the holidays. You can volunteer to serve meals on Thanksgiving. Or if you don't want to do that, just take one of the days of the weekend and go down to the homeless shelter and serve meals there. 
Encourage your kids to put money into the kettles that are outside of the shopping mall or any other organization that you believe is doing good work. You know, tell them what the work is, explain why we're doing it, and make it a lot of fun. Kids like to do things like that because it's what adults do. And especially younger children can really enjoy that kind of an activity. And then make, let them give the, have the opportunity to give you a gift. I know that sounds selfish, but you can take your child to the dollar store, even if you have to help fund this if they're young, and give them the opportunity to pick out presents and give them. Because a lot of times we shelter kids, we're not trying to get stuff. We're just trying to help teach them what it means to give. If we don't let them feel it, then they won't ever really understand what it's about. So it's important to work with our children. There's many ways you can do it. Teach them to be kind. Teach them to be generous. That's the very best gift you can give them. Have a great week. See you next time. Bye. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money. <laughs>